everyone. Welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer. Today's episode is a really special one because it just so happens to be one of my favorite conversations I have ever had on this show. And I'm really excited to introduce you guys to Robert Mack, who's going to talk to us all about the science of happiness and positive psychology. Rob is an Ivy League educated celebrity happiness coach, positive psychology expert, published author of Happiness from the Inside Out, and TV host, personality, and producer for the Oprah Winfrey Network and E. Rob's work has been endorsed by Oprah and many others. And in addition to hosting and producing Ever Talk Live, a daily live streaming morning show focused on happiness in Hollywood, Rob is a featured on-camera expert and consulting producer for Mind Your Business on Oprah Winfrey Network and a celebrity love coach for Famously Single on E! Rob is a regularly featured guest speaker for Access Hollywood, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS show, and so many more, and has been featured in many magazines. His first book, Happiness from the Inside Out, is a celebrity-endorsed and critically acclaimed book that has been translated into many other languages. And his clients are individuals from all walks of life, including professional athletes, A-list actors and actresses, musicians, C-level execs, and many more. And he is just such a ray of light, you guys. I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation that we have on where happiness comes from and how to cultivate more of it in your life, um, whether you think that it is you know, dependent on external circumstances or not. Um, and I, I do want to you know, kick this off with a little bit of a warning for those of you who um, might be struggling with uh, mental health issues or suicidal ideations. Um, there are some parts of this episode that um, do get just a, a little bit graphic and, and maybe triggering. So that's just a warning to, to know the mental state that you're in. But there is so much goodness that is packed into this episode. And Rob has so much insight to share with you all. And I can't wait to dive right in so that you can take away some really, really positive and empowering action steps from this episode. All right. Hey, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I think this is so timely right now, having this conversation about happiness and kind of where our happiness comes from in the midst of what is a really challenging and trying time for a lot of people. Absolutely. I've got to say this is a first time experiencing everything that we're uh, experiencing, uh, not just as an individual, but I think as a world. Um, I do love that for like what feels like the first time in a very long time, like the entire world is focused on solving one problem. Um, so that feels good. I love that, um, that, you know, we've got all the brightest and most brilliant people working on the same problem. Um, it feels like we're just a shared community. Yeah, I was reflecting on that same thing the other day. Like I can't recall any other time where the whole entire world truly feels united in going through the same experience, not just, you know, one one country or one community, but but all of us are really in this together. And that is very unique and, and cool and weird and all the things. It's so true. One life, one love. I absolutely, I love that. So it does, uh, there is a feeling of like solidarity in that. Yeah. So super excited about where that will lead. And I'm optimistic that, you know, we'll um, find ourselves coming out of all this better off. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I am excited to see all the, all the positives that come out of all of this and um, I'm excited to dive into our conversation today, too, because I think that your, your optimistic perspective is one that is very, very needed in the world right now. 
Well, I appreciate that. I've tried it the other way, Megan. It didn't go very well. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't feel great. It just doesn't feel good. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's such a great, great place to jump in and get started. What got you interested in studying the science of happiness um, and positive psychology to begin with? Yeah, unhappiness and suicide. <laughs> Quite frankly, um, I always joke and say I learned everything the hard way, it seems like, in my life. And I think um, so many of us can that you know resonate with that um i started i feel like i was depressed and experienced suicidal ideation as long as i remember being alive like i just remember sort of being you know i don't remember exactly being born but i remember being a small child and then i just remember being unhappy at a very early age um you know i was very um sort of an overachiever and i wanted to do well in school and do well on uh, the sports fields and i did well both in academics and athletics um, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself the smartest person, uh, for sure, um, in the world, but I was certainly, uh, very hardworking. I was willing to put up with a lot of pain to get good grades and to perform, perform well athletically. I had an incredible family. I mean, things were really good. I didn't have a whole lot to complain about. Um, but this sort of pessimism and skepticism that I felt like I was born with and a lot of self-loathing, um, just grew and grew and grew over the years. And despite, you know, just improving my objective conditions and circumstances in my life in so many ways, like subjectively on the inside, I just continued to feel a lack of peace and a lack of clarity and a lack of happiness and a lack of love, like not from other people so much, but just within myself. And so at some point I eventually got to a place where I was just like, you know, this whole life proposition thing, like this idea that we're thrown on this planet, you know, we don't really get a whole lot of guidelines or rules around how to live it in a way that will lead to happiness and success. Um, you know, we're given some of those things, but they don't often don't prove themselves out, you know, um, and that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we achieve, it just seems to kind of be empty. That experience and sort of ruminating about that and on that eventually led me to become really suicidal. Um, you know, every day, multiple times a day, I would think about suicide um, and I would want to kill myself. I just didn't want to be alive. I hated myself and I hated life itself. So I eventually did some research and I was really looking up the ways to do it. You know, I didn't have access to a lot of the ways, so I didn't have a gun. I didn't want to jump off a bridge. That felt very violent and very dramatic. Um, I just wanted to end it all. I mostly wanted to end the pain, um, but I didn't see any other way to end the pain um, than ending my life. So I uh, eventually decided to slit my wrist, went to the kitchen, got a, you know, just a steak knife, and I dug it into my wrist. Um, you know, I didn't, I dug it in kind of deep, but not deep enough to really do a whole lot of damage mostly because I was afraid of the pain. I didn't know how painful it was going to be. And uh, something strange happened, though, when I did that. You know, I dug it in, and nothing objectively changed. But again, the objective circumstances and conditions of my life weren't really the problem. It wasn't that I had an unloving family. I did. You know, I didn't. I had a very loving family. It wasn't that I wasn't making money at a great job. I did. I had a great girlfriend. But in any case, at this very moment that I dug the knife into my wrist, I felt this peace and this bliss even and like love that I had never experienced before and it was all consuming and so in that moment I just was like a little my mind was blown quite frankly so I just decided then and there like well I should maybe put this off for a little while at the time it was just an hour Megan it wasn't very long I wasn't wow. very ambitious but even that felt like a tall order I was like I don't know if I can get through an hour but I'm gonna just do a little research and I could just see what's going on like what just happened with me and so that hour that I decided to postpone 
the suicide bled into, you know, a few hours and then a few days and then a few weeks. And now I look back and it's been decades later. Um, the entire time I was researching what led or what leads to happy life and what doesn't I was applying as much of it as I could. And I was losing what didn't work and I stuck to what did work. Um, and I was tracking it all. I just kept a little journal and, um, you know, that journal eventually became happiness from the inside out. But yeah, that was sort of my journey. Uh, long story long, that was it. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I mean, it, I'm, I'm so happy that you, that you are here and that you did have that moment, whatever it was, you know, divine intervention that, that had you say, wait a second, maybe there is another way. Maybe there is something else. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, so granted, if I knew that the world, world was going to end in this way <laughs> right <laughs> <Just say>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different story now oh, no, but, it's just but i mean yeah that is absolutely just a joke um and i mean i'm sure there, there's so much to unpack there but the the tools that you've built over the the years or as you said decades since that that day um, do you feel that those are things now that like, do you still return to that place sometimes where you, you feel like you're in a dark place and, and your tools just get you out of it? Or do you feel like you don't even ever go back there because you've done so much internal work to find this, this sort of perpetual internal happiness, regardless of what's happening externally? Great question. Really great question. I genuinely don't go back there. And I could have never imagined that, that, that I would ever say that in my life. And I'm not saying that I couldn't go back there or anything can happen I don't know about the future but I do know that in the last you know easily last decade I haven't felt any of that none of that not even close um, I honestly am the happiest person I know and wow. that's not something I brag about because I've just spent you know I'm, I'm maybe the slowest learner in the world as well <laughs> right but yeah I just um I don't I don't go back to that place again um you know no I just feel uh, generally uh, consistently increasingly I feel peace and I feel happiness and uh, I feel love you know wow that is I think something we could all use for sure um can you tell us a little bit more about you you got your master's in applied positive psychology what what is applied positive psychology yeah so applied positive psychology is the science of what makes life worth living so um it was uh really birthed out of Martin Seligman's work he's a scientist and a researcher and a professor. And he was really the expert on learned helplessness and depression. And he eventually came to a place where he discovered that, look, you can remove the dysfunction from people, but if you don't put something good in there, or if you don't get them to focus on something good, they'll end up having an experience of flatlining, a very boring, mundane existence. And we'll call that healthy, but they're not really enjoying life. They're not really jazzed up. They're not tapped in, tuned in, turned on. They're not enjoying and feeling really alive about life and they're not maybe even accomplishing what they could be accomplishing and so he then sort of pivoted very hard in the direction of starting this field of positive psychology and so you know it's a lot of things but it's most of the science of happiness and authentic success yes yeah and i mean something you share is i, I think a, a, a topic of conversation that people are like generally familiar with you know we hear that even the most successful out the people out there aren't necessarily the happiest, you know, the ones that we see in, in magazines and in movies and people being highlighted and celebrated for their fame and the work that they do. 
doesn't always translate to happiness. And I know that you've, you've worked with a lot of people like that, being a celebrity happiness coach. Um, so that's like, that's one side of, of the coin of the conversation where, where you, you can see seemingly positive external circumstances that don't translate to happiness. So the other side of that coin, I think, is what do you say to the people who are like, well, I don't even have positive external circumstances. My life isn't great and I'm really unhappy. So now what do I do about it? Wow, what a great question. Um, I can see why you do what you do. <laughs> 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 um, and so, you know, you're right. So you got those two sides of the same coin. One is the worried well, the folks that have an objectively good life. They're living above or at least at or above a level of subsistence, meaning they can pay their basic bills, right? Their basic needs are met. And, um, you know, that's one side of the coin. The other side are the folks that aren't at a level of subsistence, who aren't able to pay their basic bills and are maybe going without, right? So those are folks that might be homeless or they might not be homeless, but they're poverty stricken um, or maybe they're um, experiencing abuse every day or whatnot. And so, you know, at the end of the day, the interesting thing about the science is that it's still very much an equal opportunity endeavor. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're living at or below a level of subsistence, more money is going to increase your subjective well-being. It's going to increase the happiness that you experience, okay? But at some point, once you reach that level, and you know, years ago, we called it $75,000. Now, you live, you're in New York, I'm in LA. It might be a, quite a bit more than that. <laughs> right. right? You've got to do the cost of living adjustment. But in any case, there's a number, and it's below 100,000, that when you hit that, you know, you kind of maxed out, and you've gotten all your, all the bang you can get out of each buck. And so with each additional dollar, you experience the diminishing marginal utility of the dollar, which basically means every additional dollar after that nets you less and less happiness. And so eventually you get to a place where you're totally tapped out. Let's say it's about $125,000. But the idea is that you know, money only gets you so far and improving your conditions and circumstances only gets you so far. Now, more than that, What's so interesting about the science of positive psychology is that while we know for the most part success doesn't lead to happiness, it won't make you happy, and money won't make you happy, and great relationships won't make you happy, and even objective health won't make you happy, we found that the opposite is often the case and is true, which is that if you can find a way to get happy despite the ways in which you're circumscribed, by the conditions and circumstances of your life, despite living in undesirable conditions and circumstances, you actually improve your ability to improve those conditions and circumstances. So suddenly, happiness does lead to increasing success. So the way I put it is that happiness is the greatest success. It's the reason we want everything we want in the world. No matter what it is, you want it because you think you'll feel better for having it. But if you can find a way to feel better first, to get happy first, suddenly, you're able to improve those conditions and circumstances in ways that you otherwise couldn't or in ways that would require you a lot more time, energy, effort, and resources to do so. And so happiness for me is really a master key to improving each and every area of your life. We know that the happiest people live longer, six to seven years longer. We know they make more money. They make six hundred to $700,000 on average more over the course of their entire lifetime than unhappy people. We know they get married earlier, they stay married longer, they're happier in all relationships, whether they're married or not. We know they experience better health. Um, and it's not the other way around. It's not that the health leads to them being happy because we know that being objectively healthy does not lead to happiness, but happiness does improve your health. It lowers the risk of job burnout, it increases your job performance. Um, actually, happy people are rated as more attractive. So they can show folks two pictures of you, one picture when you're doing like your best Zoolander 
like magnum <laughs> look, you know, and uh, or blue feel. And the other where you're just smiling and you're genuinely happy, we call it smiling a Duchenne smile, which is an authentic smile, one that you can't fake. And the picture of you smiling will always be rated as more attractive. Right? So we know that if we want to improve our lives, all of our life, um, the best thing we can possibly do is learn to get happy despite the conditions and circumstances that seem to make it hard to do so. That is, I mean, such a powerful point right there. And I think you really summed it up when you said that it's the key, the master key, because I think sometimes people hear that and they think that it's like a trick somehow. They're like, well, I don't want to be happy now because, you know, if I'm happy with my current circumstances, then what if they never change? But, you know, you, you pointed out so many studies there that have proven that happy people, happiness generally leads to improved conditions in all these areas of your life. So not a trick. It, it really is yes. the truth. Like get happy first. That's right. And I felt victims of that because I always thought in the back of my head, most of us do, that stress and worry and frustration and unhappiness fueled our success. And it's not that that doesn't occasionally bear fruit. That it's not that you can't channel your negative emotions in positive directions. But to a large extent, you doing that is an indication of your optimism itself, right? So right. if you actually take all of that pent-up frustration and unhappiness, you begin to channel it in directions that allow you to change conditions and mold circumstances in your life, it, you quickly realize that you're becoming increasingly optimistic about things, right? So a great example of that is if you look at like Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And, you know, that Hall of Fame speech for most people is just an expression of gratitude to all the people that supported, supported them along the way. With Michael Jordan, it was kind of a roast. <laughs> like he roasted his former coaches and other players and even broadcasters and folks that would, you know, even make the slightest insult or wait, things, maybe they were compliments, but he would take them as a slight. And he turned all of that into fuel to help him stay motivated to accomplish what he did. That being said, Michael Jordan is an extraordinarily optimistic person right? I mean, extraordinarily optimistic. And so, you know, in optimism and happiness sort of go hand in hand. It's very difficult to be happy if you're not optimistic. Um, and so in any case, if you're wanting to experience more of the best of what life has to offer, you definitely want to find a way to get happy now, because the truth is, ultimately, that's why you want all this stuff. Second of all, it does act as fuel, and it does help you to live yourself into or live into more, you know, sort of happy desirable conditions and circumstances, but also like, it's just good to feel good. And we've got to take the black called life anyway. So you don't know if it's going to end in a year or 10 years, a hundred years or 10 minutes. So knowing that you just want to do your best to enjoy the ride, you know, cause we've got to take the ride anyway. Right. And I'm, I'm actually seeing that play out so much right now, especially with this coronavirus pandemic, you, you can clearly see the divide between the optimistic and the pessimistic people. Obviously, conditions are not great right now. There's, there's a lot of intense things happening, but I've been able to it, like palpably feel the difference between the people who are in this really fear-based, scarcity-based, pessimistic worldview of like, it's all going to go to hell, and the other people who are like, you know what, it's a hard time, but we're all going to get through it together, and I actually think that the world's going to be better for it in a lot of ways. That's absolutely right. I mean, you nailed it. Um, it's like that expression, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a quarantine and a pandemic and the end of the world, you can make it anywhere. And it's true. 
And that's why it's so critically important, um, especially for those folks that are sort of light workers or the folks that are able to hold space for positivity and for peace and for happiness and who are practiced and cultivated the mindsets, the skill sets, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence to, um, you know, model and be living, shining examples for the rest of the world. Like we're called to do that even more. I feel a greater, deeper, more powerful calling to live up to what I've been practicing my entire life and preaching my entire life now more than ever. Right. And so um, that doesn't mean that those folks who haven't practiced it or just now beginning to dip their toes in the water, that they can't learn to swim and swim effectively and efficiently and enjoyably and come out of this better as well. We know from science that adversity, even the most challenging experiences often lead people to experience what's called post-traumatic growth. That even though post-traumatic stress disorder gets most of the attention in, this, in, in, in the media spotlight, like it's really actually post-traumatic growth that is much more common of an experience for folks that have gone through challenge adversity. So I'm looking forward to seeing the ways in which people grow from the experience, but grow enjoyably. You don't have to grow in pain. Um, it can be a little painful because it's a little unfamiliar, but you're absolutely right, Megan. Um, you know, now is a time um, that is really, it's giving us all an opportunity to train ourselves to be happier, more peaceful, more successful, more loving, uh, but basically live up to the calling to be that which we essentially and infinitely internally are on the inside. Wow, that is so beautiful. And and I love that phrase, post-traumatic growth. I've never heard that before, but that is so accurate. And, and you're right that usually a lot of the best growth does come after difficult traumatic experiences or adversity. No question. I mean, it's the, it's the reason I'm here right now. Like, why do right. I get to have a conversation with you? I mean, the only reason I get to have a conversation with you is because I was suicidal. And somehow, some way, through divine intervention and all kinds of other incredible people out there in the world that I learned from, I was able to pull myself out of, inch by inch, this deep, dark, depressing hole that I had dug for myself. But had I not experienced that great pain, I would not be able to share this great purpose. Yeah, oh, that's so true. And I mean, really, with everything that you're saying, it, it really kind of sounds like it's summed up in, in this idea that happiness is a choice. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's seems like what separates happy people from unhappy people is whether or not they're making that choice. Yes, that's right. And what's interesting is sometimes unwittingly, unconsciously, most of us have made that choice when we're really, really, really small and young and didn't even know we were making the choice, right? Mm. So you made it five or six or 10 or 12, but maybe something happened, maybe something didn't happen. Maybe it was just by virtue of living in the household that you did, but you made a choice about that. But you can make a choice, a different choice, today, right here, right now. And that's essentially what I did. But I, ha and I've done that. I've had to renew that choice every day forever. Like, you know, I still make that choice every morning I wake up. Um, it's gotten easier though. And it feels less and less like a choice. So whereas in the beginning, it felt way easier to be unhappy and depressed and to be self-loathing. It's infinitely happy, easier now to, to, to choose happiness and optimism and peace and love it's like it chooses me so it sort of works the way an algorithm does like you choose something like you go to instagram or you go online and you begin liking something or you go shopping for something and if you do it often enough the algorithm picks up on that and whereas in the beginning you chose it now it chooses you right <laughs> you see it everywhere <laughs> everywhere 
and then it's automatic and then you're like okay and then before long you know you've got cartons and cartons of stuff showing up at your doorstep that you may not have even wanted <laughs> right but, yes exactly. but it's not something you're either born with or without it's like it's a muscle you can strengthen yeah so there's a so that great question so there is a bit of a you know genetic predisposition okay so um you know about i think it's about 40 percent of it uh 50 of it is actually genetic right so there's we have a genetic predisposition now i think that i probably had a genetic predisposition to be pessimistic slightly unhappy or whatnot okay that being said that 50 percent is entirely malleable so it's not like height height is something that feels so static it's not dynamic it's not something you can change right but this genetic predisposition around happiness is plastic you can actually mold it and change it and move it and i know that because i've done that personally otherwise i'd have a hard time just believing the science right i'd say well show me someone who's done it i've actually done that i didn't know i was doing it at the time but that's what the entire field of neuro neuroplasticity is about right this entire field of neuroplasticity is that what fires together wires together and that when you begin to think different thoughts and you do it on purpose, and in the beginning, you have to use other people's thoughts. That's why you throw yourself into books. You listen to audios or videos of other people who are speaking like the good word into your life or the positivity in your life. When you listen to that often enough, their thoughts become your thoughts. And then you rewire your brain so that it becomes automatic. If you did that for 66 days where you drown yourself in this positive, you know, uplifting, inspiring information from other people, in 66 days, you would actually begin to rewire your brain in a way that made it automatic for you. So it wouldn't take really hardly the effort that it's taking now in order to stay positive or stay happy or stay enjoying life or stay peaceful or stay loving or even focus on success in the way that maybe right now you're focusing on failure. So yeah, it's pretty interesting that even the genetic, and I don't like to talk about the genetic part of it too much because it does give people the sense that it's hardwired, but it's not. Well, you know, I love that because it, it first does acknowledge that for some people, it might feel harder than others. Like for, yeah. for some people, it might not feel natural initially, but that for all of us, it's, it's an, a choice that we're empowered with and we are in control. We're in the driver's seat and it's not something that we're just predestined to or doomed to, to feel the rest of our That's lives. Right. That's right. You, you absolutely nailed it. Um, you, ha- you, you know, really are the captain, captain of your fate particularly when it comes to happiness and therefore I'd say when it comes to authentic success, um, you know, that we call this formula. Um, it's like, so 50% is uh, of happiness. 50% of happiness is genetic, but that's all malleable. 40% are the voluntary activities that you do every single day. I would argue that that 40% plus the 50% is really 90% is controllable, right? Cause we're saying the genes can be changed based on the thoughts you think the people you hang out with and a bunch of other things. And then a 10% is conditions and circumstances. And I would go further based on my own experiences and say that 100% of your happiness is up to you. Now, I know there are extenuating conditions and circumstances, but I've literally, as, as have you, met people who've experienced absolutely excruciating pain or the most, like the, the most, the, the, the worst conditions and circumstances ever in life. Maybe they've experienced like multiple um, you know, types of like abuses in their life, or they maybe they live completely, maybe they've been homeless for, you know, a long period of time, but you see some of these people and they're happier than the people that, you know, have spent most of their life in a charmed um, way. So um, I would argue that happiness is a hundred percent controllable. And um, I feel that way. And I can only say that now because when I, when I started this, I felt it was a hundred percent uncontrollable. Wow. What a big, 
big perspective shift. Yes, it's a, and it's a big it's a big statement. You know, it's a tall order. It doesn't mean that every second yeah. of the day you feel like you're on cloud nine, but it does mean that every second of the day you can become aware that there's this peaceful aliveness inside you, and you can choose to identify with that without thinking instead yeah. of identifying with the condition or circumstance or whatever it is that your mind is telling you should pay attention to. Hmm. And you also, okay, so you said the term um, authentic success. So I'm curious, how do you define success? Happiness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I define it as happiness. So I would say that um, there's two ways of putting it, I guess. So there's like your outer purpose. And most of us think of that, that when you fulfill your outer purpose, we call that success. If you want to be a writer, you wrote the book or you published the book, you became a bestseller or whatnot. And there's right. inner purpose. I call that happiness. We all share the same inner purpose. We all essentially just want to be happy. That's why we do everything and anything. Um, the challenge with most of us is that we put so much focus and attention on our outer purpose that even when we succeed with that outer purpose, we don't find the happiness that we're after because the world and that outer purpose doesn't have the ability to provide you with the experience of true, lasting, meaningful, and abiding happiness. But when you do it the other way, when you instead focus on the inside first, and you get that part right, then the outside falls into place. So when you find happiness and you fulfill that inner purpose, then what happens is sometimes the outer purpose shifts and changes and evolves over time. But when you, of course, accomplish your outer purpose, great, you're happy. If you don't for any reason accomplish your outer purpose, you're still happy. So you still have the gold, you still have the treasure. And that outer purpose, fulfilling that is really just like a consolation prize. It's like icing on the cake. And so I always encourage people, you never know how long or how short life is. Don't spend all your time just trying to fulfill that outer purpose. Get the inside right first. The outside will fall into place. And you'll also find yourself more easily and effortlessly and enjoyably fulfilling your outer purpose. It's amazing how the pieces kind of fall together when you don't need them to fall together. Fall together. Right. Yeah. Because then there's no, not as much pressure on it. Yeah. Totally. And that's, a, you know, that's true in all spaces and all industries and fields, but you can especially see it as true in uh, something like uh, entertainment, right? Where it's like, you know, I, I modeled for like 10 years and boy, if you're unhappy and you're having a tough day, it comes through in your eyes so strongly. Like you can smile the biggest smile, but that camera picks up on that unhappiness or that frustration or that upset. And it just like, you can't change the picture. It's like in the eyes. And that happens all the time with us. We, we don't realize it. And we say, well, I did all the right things and I definitely was better than everybody else. But the casting director or the person interviewing, they can feel, they're like, something felt unsettled there. Something didn't feel right. Or they felt needy. They felt desperate. And that's not an attractive energy, um, just relationally, let alone universally, you know, let alone spiritually. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I know that you're also well known for your relationship and love coaching. So I would... I'd love you to talk about the correlation between relationships and happiness, because I'm sure your take is really different than the traditional take, which is like, you know, all this coaching about like how to fix the relationship and make it better or fix the other person. But I would assume that your take is more, you know, look at yourself first. Yes, Megan. Again, you are right. Um, that's exhausting. I think we've all tried that. I know I've oh, tried yeah. that. Right? You get yourself into a relationship. And first of all, you're sure that that person, you know, completes you, makes you whole or, uh -huh. and then you quickly find, uh, you're, you're disabused of that idea real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And, and then, then uh, all you see is like, what's wrong with them? Yes, that's exactly right. And so then you become obsessed with changing them. And mm. then that doesn't work because nobody wants to be changed. You know, people, right. that doesn't feel good. No. When people change, if they change, they change when they want to change in the direction they want to change. 
you're asking them or pressuring them to change actually just prevents them from changing, right? It doesn't help mm-hmm. them, change. it doesn't encourage them to change. So the best thing I think any of us can do is um, be a living, shining example of what it is to be love and to be peace and to be happiness. And if you're you know, committed to that and you're fully confident in that and you don't expect or ask someone else or something else to change or be different so that you can be happy, now you're finally in a position of power and you can have some real persuasive power and influence over the other person. Then you're teaching not through your words, not through your explanation, but through experience, through your living, shining example. So much more attractive, you know, and it's so much more compelling and so much more convincing. So, you know, if you're really wanting to have a happy relationship, you've got to focus on being happy yourself and you've kind of got to make the other person a little less relevant. And I know it's hard for people to hear, (laughs) you know, but they need to be less relevant. You need to take them less into your equation in terms of happiness than you currently are. I know that for me, you know, I've had so many incredible and beautiful and wonderful, um, you know, girlfriends in my life. And they've all been personal trainers for me, for my mindset and for my soul. And, you know, and I've um, learned so much from each of them. And at some point in my life, I'd committed to being unconditionally happy. And I wanted to be unconditionally loving and unconditionally peaceful. And what better way than to have someone who doesn't see it that way and, you know, basically is pushing you, encouraging you to deepen that skill set of that mindset of being unconditionally happy or unconditionally peaceful, unconditionally loving. So, right. yeah, the happiest relationships consist of two independently happy people. Yeah, I'm, I love that you shared that as an example, too, because, you know, it is easy to be unconditionally loving and unconditionally happy when there are no challenges and when circumstances are good and easy. But yeah. when you really put it into practice, that's, yeah, like you said, you, you deepen it and that those skills then become even stronger. Totally, totally. And I'll say one other thing there, because I, I love what you're saying here. You know, part of that is this, is that, um, you know, you, uh, you have this just really sweet, um, lovely like personality, it's really interesting. It's like, it's like oh, strong you. and powerful, but so sweet. And, um, you know, you connect, you can just feel you genuinely connect with people. And, you know, one of the best things you could, any of us could possibly do is sort of tap into that place within ourselves and then do what we can to focus on the best in the other person, no matter how hard that is. And if we can't do it at all, then just focus on the best in life itself or the best within ourselves. But what doesn't work is focusing and giving attention to all those undesirable qualities or negative qualities in the person in the hope that somehow that's going to make you feel better or make them change. That doesn't work. Like, you know, you can't extinguish undesirable behavior by giving it attention. You have to give attention to the desirable behavior, to the positive qualities, positive traits, um, and that, and you basically need to starve the undesirable behavior of attention in order to extinguish it, in order to get rid of it. So people have a hard time with that because the problem always seems to get our attention. But if you spend your relationship focusing on what's wrong with the other person, you will have nothing but a relationship that's wrong, that feels wrong. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, so I, I made note of this um, quote that I had read from your Instagram that I really liked that now I'm thinking kind of applies here. I don't know if you actually wrote it with the intention of talking about relationships. I, I feel like it probably applies to all areas of life. But you said needing nothing attracts everything. Yeah. And that. I can see how that would apply in relationships, too, because when you're not needing it to look like a certain way, then you then you get everything you want. Then the relationship can blossom. Is, totally. is that kind of right? Oh, that's a, that's a perfectly right. You know, I remember uh, when I was uh, doing the modeling thing, we used to joke because 
for the most part, modeling meant being unemployed, <laughs> you know, and uh, so you do other kinds of jobs too. And I, anyway, I one time worked a celebrity gifting suite, you know, and um, I remember thinking, how odd is this that I'm working this gifting suite and the people that don't need any of it are getting all of it. <laughs> like right. $50,000 watches. And I was thinking, how odd is that? Yeah, I understand now why that works because, you know, it's great for the business. It's, it's a, you know, somebody goes out and spreads the good word about this incredible product in a way that I couldn't or whoever couldn't if they don't have a name. Sure. That being said, doesn't the universe work that way? Like when you don't need something, when you're not desperate for it, when you're deeply, truly fulfilled within yourself, when you're dialing in or tapping, to, tapping into or going directly to the source within you for whatever it is that you want to experience or feel, suddenly the world just wants to flood you and shower you with everything that previously you thought you needed from the world. It's like the second you don't need attention, the second you get it. The second you don't need love and approval, that's the second everybody gives it to you. And it's fascinating the way that's worked because I remember early in my life thinking, I just want to have a conversation where I can connect with someone in a meaningful and lasting way. And it never really felt like it was happening. So at some point I realized I better look within myself or I might, or I'm going to spend my entire life being unhappy and living in this state of anxiety and desire instead of fulfillment. So, you know, I just spent time going in and then I got to a place where I loved it so much that I then had the opposite problem. People were like, Rob, you want to have a conversation? I'm like, no, <laughs> I love being alone. What do you mean? Like, I'm good. I love you, but I just want to spend time alone. So it's yeah. funny how life works that way. Everything yeah. you're seeing, you want to go inside for, you know, there's another expression that I love, which is go within or go without. If you go, don't go within for what you're looking for, you will go without it. So even mm. if you find that relationship or person in the world, if you're not deeply happy inside, you will not find that happiness in the other person. If you don't find the peace on the inside, you will not find that peace in the other per person. If you don't feel deeply confident and truly wealthy and successful inside you, even if you accomplish whatever you want to accomplish, you're going to find it empty. It's going to lack that feeling or experience of deep fulfillment and wealth and true success. Mm. Man, that's so true. But, and isn't it so empowering to know that it all starts with us and we have control over all of that? Yes. It's so empowering. It's, I mean, it's the most empowering message ever. And even if it weren't true, let's just assume for a second it's not true because I'm sure there are some folks out there that were probably like me they were total naysayers. Like, what is this nonsense? I see people crushing it and they don't do any of this. And, and I would say this, what a great way to live life though. Even if it weren't true, isn't it a much happier, healthier existence and experience of your now moment, of every now moment, than it is to be always chasing things and chasing people? It's like, that's exhausting and it's stressful. And clearly it doesn't work. I mean, that's the bottom line. It just doesn't work. Right. Like, choose to be happy just because it feels better. Yes. And that's the key, Megan. Like in the beginning, the problem that mistake that I made was that I was always trying to be happy to get stuff. Like, like you know, at the very beginning when I had the suicidal experience, I was just focused on the happiness, but then I slipped a little and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get this other stuff. Cause you know, it's so seductive, this idea that mm. I was just more famous. <laughs> if I just had <laughs> more just, just a little bit more, not, you right. know, you just, I'll be truly happy then. And what's interesting is that when you do that, you find, um, you know, that it just, it just doesn't work, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. You can't trick yourself. You can't trick life. You can't trick the universe by saying, I'll get happy just to get this stuff. Because then you're not really happy. You're just doing it to get this stuff. Like, you have to be authentically happy, genuinely happy. You can also want the stuff. You can also have goals and dreams. But don't invest all your happiness in the goals and dreams 
in the future. The future, we never even are able to put a finger on the future. The only moment you ever have access to is like right now and it's slipping between your fingers right now and all of your power to attract or manifest or demonstrate anything is right now. And so you want to do everything humanly possible just to find a way to get as tapped into and turned on to the present moment and that source and power within you as you possibly can. And then just trust and know that you'll increasingly be led into, you know, more and more abundant experiences and conditions and circumstances. Mm, I love that. I had, I had written down this question that I wanted to ask you that now that we're talking, I think I've, I've answered it for myself and, and want to shift it because I wanted to ask, you know, what have been some of the happiest moments in your life? And I'm like kind of telling myself, oh, his answer is probably like all of them because you just, mm. when you commit to being happy, all your moments can be your happiest moments. So I guess the better question is when you slip out of that mind frame of happiness, what are some of the things that you do to help yourself get tuned in and tapped in and turned on? I love that. Um... Uh, I don't I genuinely, I can't remember the last time I felt that I had slipped out of it um, because it's really the only practice I've ever had. Like I always joke and say, I'm um, terrible and I suck at everything in life. Like I can barely tie my own two faces. Like what? I can't manage money, like all these things. I don't, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't ever attempt to cheat somebody else because I don't really take all that much pride or joy in them. And um, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that great at them. But this one thing I've made a career out of quite literally, which is just happiness. So I don't experience um, the sort of backpedaling that I did when I first started it. When I did experience the backpedaling though, I will say, and I experienced it all the time and it was years, I, I mean, really severe. You know, I still had the suicidal ideation even for years after I decided not to kill myself, even though I was uh, reading every book on the planet and applying it all. I just had days where I was like, screw this. like. This week sucks. Oh, this month sucks. Oh, this year sucks. Like, um, but what I realized over time was that the best thing um, that I could ever do when I was in those place, uh, spaces and places was to distract myself. So when you're feeling, what, what we often try to do is, let's say we're feeling uh, upset or unhappy or frustrated or not motivated. We feel fat, whatever it is. Okay. And you, in those moments, often you're like, I got to think positive. I got to get motivated. I got to get inspired. And you, Basically, take this car, this vehicle that is your life, that's in like reverse, and you try to slam it into like fourth or fifth gear. And you don't have to know a lot about cars, but you know that's not good for the car. <laughs> like that's right. how you drop a transmission, that's how you break your car, right? So knowing all of that, I eventually came around to realizing that when I'm really in a bad mood or I'm not feeling motivated, the best thing I can possibly do is distract myself with something that's easy and feels effortless. So I'd go for a walk in nature. It sounds so silly and it sounds so paltry, but it works. Or I'll do something simple like just put on a lot of music. I mean, Michael Jackson always made me feel better. Um, you know, I love Sarah McLaughlin, but when I was feeling real bad, like Sarah McLaughlin, you know, wasn't, that wasn't the right time for me, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> no. <laughs> reminded me of, you know, darker times in my life. So, um, you know, I think you've got to create a little list, I call it a happiness science list, but a list of things that you can enjoy, that you do enjoy that require very little time, energy, and effort. And when you're in a really bad mood or tough spot, you just commit not to thinking about them, just picking something off the list and doing it. And, um, but you've got to create the list when you're feeling somewhat upbeat or at least neutral. Now, if you're not feeling that bad and you're just feeling like eh, a little lackluster or whatnot, you can actually do all of the other things that people tell you to do. Like meditation is great, I think, practically any time. But meditation, you can you know, folks do affirmations, Folks write gratitude letters, folks count their blessings, folks exercise. Exercise is also great. 
Um, but not when you're not feeling motivated because then you just beat yourself up for not wanting to exercise. But I would say those are the top two tips. One is distract yourself if you're feeling really bad. And if you're at a place of um, neutrality or above, you can sort of lean into the more positive, almost assertive happiness practices. Oh, that is such a great action item for everybody listening. Go make your list so, you, so that you have that when you need it. Yeah, totally. And you, don't, and you don't need to censor yourself on the list. Like try to stick to things that are healthy, of course. But, you know, um, don't overly censor yourself. And, you know, some of the activities in the list are like, it's just so superficial. Like, uh, you know, I don't, why does looking at good looking people, why is that like, so I need something deeper. But, you know, honestly, sometimes the superficial stuff, the shallow stuff is the best yeah. stuff because it just gives you a little bit of a jolt and then you can move on from that. Yeah, for me, when I was I was going through some really dark times myself, I don't know why this did it for me, but watching clips of like late night talk shows on YouTube always shifted me back to a place of at least neutrality, if not like happiness and joy. I would just like go look up, you know, like Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien and watch these like silly interviews with celebrities. And for some reason that did it for me. So oh, I, I, I get what you mean about not like needing it to be super deep. That is brilliant, Megan. I love that. Like, that is fantastic. I found myself doing something very similar. Um, and I think one, because it's light. you know, I actually used to go to the mall when I was feeling really bad. I would go sit in the mall uh, because it always felt like the most serious thing that was happening at the mall was like someone deciding on like <laughs> batons or like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. it was like, life isn't that serious. I could deal with this. And then of course, you know, just, you know, people watching for me, it's just fascinating. Like I find like, everyone's so beautiful in so many different ways. And yeah. there's something about pain on one hand, physical pain, um, but beauty and awe and wonder on the other that completely quiets your mind, even for a micro moment or two. And in that space, in that gap, those are pregnant pauses. Those are pregnant gaps. And those are pregnant with little bundles of joy, right? So like there's happiness in those gaps. There's peace in those gaps. There's love in those gaps. And true peace and true happiness and true love is actually the gap right? It's that peaceful aliveness that's in the gap when your mind isn't focused on your problems, isn't thinking so hard and trying to figure things out, but you're in a more fluid flow-like state. And that's a thoughtless word, this place. So yeah. I don't want to get too deep about that, but the idea simply is that uh, happiness is easier than you think, like quite literally. Mm, I love that. And like people watching can be so great too, because it just kind of shakes you out of this um, narrow or worldview and reminds you that, you know, your, your issue isn't the only thing happening in the world. There are other people, there are other perspectives, there are other experiences to be lived besides just the one thing you're feeling at that time. That's right. And there's an incredible researcher that powerfully and poignantly underscores what you just said, Megan, and this is part of your brilliance and your genius. Her name is Barbara Fredrickson, and she writes about this broaden and build hypothesis, but essentially positive emotions broaden and widen your perspective. And that's why you're more creative when you're in a good mood and you're more insightful when you're in a good mood and you tend to be more productive and efficient, and effective and efficacious when you're in a good mood. So positive emotion doesn't just feel good. It's good for you, right? And it's good for your work and it's good for your relationships and it's good for your money. And so what you're saying there is like gold for the longest time, most of us believed that it was like the moody person that was always most creative, <laughs> right? Yeah, the one that, like brooding artist. Exactly. But apparently that's just a myth or a misconception. Uh, feeling good is good for you. I love that there's so much science behind why being happy is actually important and good for you in all these ways. Like it's not just some silly superfluous thing that like is just a luxury. Like we need to be happy for our health and for 
our ultimate like success in life. That's right. Exactly. It's, it was wild. And it, look, and it takes a little bit of convincing, right? And that's why the science is so helpful. Early in my journey, I was relatively, I didn't trust really anything or anybody, but I did kind of have this tendency to trust science, right? Like, and yep. let's say, well, they've done 10,000 studies, <laughs> like 10,000 studies can't lie. Hard to so, ignore. Yeah. Yeah. And I would lean into that. And then I found that through time, what the science was pointing to, and it was all pointing to basically the same conclusion, which that, which is that, yes, when you feel good, all kinds of good feeling hormones are released. And those good feeling hormones are meant to make you and help you become more successful and better at everything, which, which brings us around to something else that I'll share, which is state of flow. So I don't know if you played, did you play sports growing up at all? I was a gymnast, so I didn't play team sports, but I, I can definitely get in that flow state, you know, tumbling and being upside down. There you go. Okay. So I always admired gymnasts. I always wished I could have been a gymnast. <laughs> so strong, <laughs> so beautiful. And so, um, you know, this, that flow state, the zone, um, is a real thing, right? And um, it's been studied by a guy named Mike Cheek, sent me high, lots of other people too, but he's out at Claremont Graduate University out here in Los Angeles. And he's written a book called Flow. But the idea essentially is that when you're in a state of flow, when you're in the zone, and when you're essentially in that place where Michael Jordan scores 60 points or, you know, you're able to get perfect tens as a gymnast, when you're, when you're in that state, um, you lose a sense of time consciousness, you lose a self, a self consciousness. And that's why time flies by in moments and other times it goes super slow. Um, and you're deeply enjoying what you're up to, but your mind is very quiet. So in that state of flow in the zone, you're 500 to a thousand percent more effective and efficient at everything or whatever you happen to be doing at the time, right? So it again speaks to the value of spending less and less time working really hard at trying to accomplish things and instead try to accomplish a state of being, state of feeling, um, and then from that place, see what unfolds for you objectively. Um, so really so much of my work with, you know, whether it's athletes or executives or performers is helping them to get into the zone or flow state so they can accomplish what they wanna accomplish in one day instead of a year and a half or instead of three years, which is what that science is saying, 500 to 1,000%. So yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And that's something that's accessible to everybody, right? Everyone. It's accessible to everyone. It requires a little bit of practice. It does help if you happen to, you know, if you've got that one activity or one skill or one sport that you love, um, you know, the more you can practice that skill, that sport, um, the more easily you'll find yourself being able to get in the zone in the flow state. But there are a lot of great resources out there about how to do that. A huge key is enjoying it. Um, I think, I don't know about you, Megan, but I know my life disciplines played a huge role. And at some point, I basically decided to swap up this, out this idea of discipline and replace it with discipline, which means just committing to enjoying whatever it is that I have to do, like enjoying it as much as possible. And if it's not fun or I can't make it fun, really try not to do it at all. Um, wow, discipline. I hope you've coined that, that <laughs> word. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I don't remember where I, I and the, the worst part is, I don't know about you, but you know, you're a reader and you're an active learner, lifelong learner. It's hard to remember. I always think, did I, I don't remember if I came up to it, but I read it. You're somewhere. right. Yeah. <laughs> so then you don't know what to do with it. You just say, oh, you just share it. It's the only thing you can do is share. Yeah. Just put it out into the collective. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, this being a, a wellness show, one of the last things that I love to ask people who come on the show is besides your area of expertise, which for you is happiness and positive psychology, what is one daily wellness practice or practice or habit that you swear by and can't live without? Exercise. I, okay. exercise. I mean, 
this quarantine thing, let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's rough. Are you doing at-home workouts? <laughs> yes, I'm doing at-home workouts and I feel like I'm seven years old again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get creative in these times. You do, you do. And um, you know, I'm, I'm like such a gym rat. I've always loved gyms. I don't know what it is about the gym. I think it's, it's the fact that, you know, gym is clean. There are other people there. It helps that there are beautiful people there. They inspire me. And yeah. so, you know, and the music and all that. But, so I've started doing, uh, you know, of course, just running outside the way I did when I was younger and doing uh, you know, home workouts. But exercise is just critical. You know, scientifically, again, um, the psychological and emotional benefit that you get from 30 minutes of exercise, just moderate ex exercise, is the equivalent to taking an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety pill, right? So mm -hmm. like it's that powerful an effect on your mood. So if there's one thing I've learned, it's that I need and want and love exercising no matter what. Yeah, those those endorphins and feel good chemicals are real. <laughs> yes, they are. They are real. It's unbelievable. Totally. I love that. So for everybody who's listening and wants to learn more about you and the work you do and read your book, where can they find you? Great question. So you can find me at coachrobmack.com. You can also find me on all social media platforms at Rob Mack, M-A-C-K, official. And you can find my book everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Awesome. I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes below. So for everyone who's listening, highly recommend following Rob and buying his book and all the things because he shares so much wisdom. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this is one of my favorite conversations of all time on this podcast. It's I will so tell you important. right now, this is my favorite conversation. And I mean that, Megan, like, First of all, you're an incredibly clear speaker. You've got such a great voice for this. <laughs> it's oh, like thank you. Yeah, truly. And you're so present, um, but you're genuinely a star. And I mean that. And I just appreciate you sharing your divine light, your divine love with me and the whole world. Like, just keep doing what you're doing because it really does matter and it really does help. Oh, thank you. The, the feeling is so mutual. I feel like I could talk to you for hours on end. So maybe we'll have to have you back on sometime because this was a lot Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. Anytime you want to be continued. Awesome. Yep. To be continued. For everybody who's tuning in, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody in your life who could benefit from a little bit more happiness and hearing this episode, please share it with them and be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear the latest episodes. And as always, until next time, have a happy, healthy day.